You're listening to 17 Karat K-Pop. For more information about this show, as well as my other show, Enthusiasts, previously called How to Stan, visit 17caratkpop.weebly.com. And sign up for the show's free newsletter for interviews and much more at 17caratkpop.substack.com. Thank you! Hello everybody! Welcome back to 17 Karat K-Pop, the year in review, starting with 17 main topics and then a lightning round. Number one, K-Pop artists really slayed the fashion world. First of all, New York Fashion Week was taken over. Jenno from NCT became the first K-Pop star to ever open up a New York Fashion Week runway, opening up Peter Doe's Spring-Summer 23 collection. Peter Doe is also the designer behind Johnny from NCT's Met Gala look. It was really cool, too, because Peter Doe talked about actually growing up listening to Girls' Generation, being a fan of Red Velvet. It was really sweet. So he was very excited to team up with SM Entertainment. It wasn't just some clout chaser thing. He was really a fanboy about it and was very complimentary of Jenno, calling him, quote, multifaceted, confident, and a trailblazer, unquote, making him match the Peter Doe brand perfectly. As part of this role, he got to celebrate 130 years of Vogue by attending the big A-list Vogue World party. As for Johnny, at the Met Gala, the Gilded Glamour theme, he was number five on the list of most mentioned men at the ball with 240,000 social media mentions about him and his look. Elsewhere at Paris Fashion Week, Milan Fashion Week, and elsewhere in New York Fashion Week, many other K-pop stars were in attendance. SM Rookies, Holland, Sulgi, some members of Twice, Yugium, Juhani, June and the Eight from Seventeen, members of Blackpink, Astro, JB, G-Dragon I think was there. He kept posting pics from Paris during Paris Fashion Week, but none of himself there, so I don't know. Espo were there, attending the Jivashi show as ambassadors, no less. Another super exciting moment was seeing Blackpink's Jenny next to Kristen Stewart, front row for Mew Mew, which was just beyond iconic. DK from Icon Walked a Runway for Ulkin, U-L-K-I-N. And people that came to show their support include members of the musical K-pop. Plus, after all the fashion months, activity ended, Unwoo and Sehun both went to a big Dior show, the first ever Dior show ever in Egypt. This month, actually. Back to that K-pop show. That's number two on my list for a big moment. Some reasons great, some reasons not. The show was made by K-pop stars. The cast included Kim Bohyun, Luna from FX, Kevin Woo, the musical, had a historically, from a pure box office perspective, awful showing. Making less than 200k a week, and only lasting 17 shows on Broadway. There were 44 preview shows before that, but 17 officially. I also have heard from fellow music writers that went to the show that people did walk out during the intermission. And reviews weren't great. People were saying it was great music, but the story was lacking. The show, unfortunately, officially announced it was over December 11th, meaning that the show just missed the holiday saving grace they could have gotten from a surge in turnout to Broadway shows during winter break. They didn't benefit from that. Now that everyone's talking about Nepo babies and stuff, this show didn't benefit from any institutional feet-in-the-door kind of assistance. This was not some legacy show. This was actually the Broadway debut for 18 actors. 
It was also historic, of course, because of the AAPI representation with only one non-Asian actor in the principal cast. I have a little bit of personal, I guess you could call it gossip, some tea to spill for you. I honestly, I was set to interview the cast of this show, do some big coverage to promote it, and the PR people ghosted me. And I'm not saying it was one of the countless times where someone reaches out for an interview, hears back an initial yes, and then it flops. I'm talking about back and forth making it more serious, making this sound like my coverage was really going to happen, and they were so down for this, and then nothing. Now, I'm not saying if I did get to cover the show, I would have saved it. That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm not that cocky. But I am saying I can't be the only person they ghosted. They just stopped following up with. I think there probably was a severe lack of PR follow-through on many fronts. This show didn't get tons of PR, and the people like me trying to boost the show's reach were ignored. Were initially on the same page, and then they just sort of shrugged their shoulders and gave up. So two things I think can be true at once. This show might lack a story. It might not be just great in terms of a narrative in a full plot. And it could be very important in a show I wish had lasted longer that deserved better promo. So I honestly do think it's a bit of both. It's not that the show tanked because it was bad or that it didn't get the promo help it deserved. I think it's totally both. That maybe the show wasn't great, but even if it was, there was not the right promo help there. They didn't put in the effort, I assume, they would with more legacy creators behind a project. This was an underdog show from the start. On the bright side, maybe they can get a better PR team behind the show in 2023, when a cast recording of the soundtrack is still set for release February 24th. And the cast and crew still hold out hope the show will be revived in some way, shape, or form in the future. The associate director actually mentioned a potential angel investor who might financially save the show. Unclear if this director was talking about like an actual literal angel investor in economic speak, or it would be a saving grace angelic if an investor did this. The show could have different backing going forward and be given a makeover. They've also floated ideas like going on tour with the show and having a Vegas residency style version. But lots of tweaking no matter what they do. So I would expect if K-pop is saved as a show, you won't hear that officially that everything's all planned out and ready to try again with for many months. And I do think the show really resonated with people. Everyone deserves to see themselves represented on Broadway. And even just debut performers on Broadway, it's important for people to see that too. That you shouldn't feel like a nobody that no one will cast in a show if you don't have connections or whatever. And the Save K-Pop Broadway hashtag trended on Twitter. Then people suddenly were like, we have to be the PR team ourselves, spreading the word like mad, buying up tickets to try to help it keep its doors open. And although I've heard about people leaving early, others have said the people who did stay really connected with the show were truly emotional watching it, dancing along, crying, just so touched, and having the time of their lives. So maybe this is an example of a show that's just not wide-reaching in its popularity. Unfortunately, in business that means it's given the boots, but not in business means in the cultural context. That should not be the case. So maybe the show is really high quality, but the quantity of fans who think so was not enough. I will keep you posted, and of course, I'm open to trying again and covering the show and talking to the cast and everything if the show is reformed in a new way next year. 3. 
K-pop meets sporting events. So many big moments for K-pop stars at sporting events. Bam Bam premiered a new song, Wheels Up, at a halftime show for the Chase Center Warriors. He also got a special merch option, and lucky merch purchasers got to win a meet and greet with him. As a new Golden State Warriors ambassador, Bam Bam really helped raise the profile of player Andrew Wiggins. His social media following really was boosted with Bam Bam's endorsement. There were some surprise halftime performances, including Ghost 9 at a UCLA game and AB6 at an LA Sparks versus Phoenix Mercury WNBA game. Jungkook rocked a solo performance for the opening ceremony of the Frickin' World Cup and Hyphen threw out the first pitch at a Dodgers game. I've performed at the Beijing Olympics launch ceremony, and Billy performed at the opening ceremony for a World Taekwondo competition. Number 4. All Things BTS Solo, yes, there was Jungkook with Dreamers, performing a new song for the World Cup, no less. He also got to collab with Charlie Puth and release an adorable music video, and he won Odyssey's Artist of the Summer poll. V started in the In the Soup Frankation spinoff on Disney+, and he became the fastest person to reach 50 million Instagram followers. Jimin released a sweet new OST with Ha Sun Woon called With You, which became the fastest song to top iTunes in 100 regions, breaking his own record from BTS's Dynamite. Jimin also accidentally made history on his birthday. Just by being born, he's a star. He became the first person in Twitter's history to ever have 28 different keywords and hashtags trending worldwide simultaneously. He's actually maintained this world record for three years in a row now. Jin released The Astronaut, a really beautiful song. He performed live with Coldplay in concert, and he released before going off to the military a very touching music video to go with it. Also, some of his older songs, like Abyss, are finally streamable, as is RM's Bicycle. Speaking of RM, he released a masterpiece with Indigo. He also got a new hosting gig on the Dictionary of Useless Human Knowledge. He surpassed 10 million Spotify followers on his own. He got a shout-out in a new Rick Riordan story, part of the Gifted Clans trilogy. A special dragon is now named Namjoon. The theme of this year for BTS was effortlessly achieving all year, just by being themselves. And he continued to post delightful Namjooning social media posts, inspiring us to discover new artists and visual artists especially, in nature, parks and stuff, just exposing us to some good recommendations for where to travel, what to read, and what art to see. Which shameless plug I talked about in the episode of the show called RM's Rex. RM also got to talk to a big idol of his, Pharrell Williams, for the Rolling Stone Musicians on Musicians series. So the conversation became viewable on YouTube as well as listenable on podcast apps. During this conversation, between two artists who both are very genuinely passionate about music and fans of each other, they talked about their early career days, they talked about the pressures that come with fame. It was a really powerful conversation. It also included revelations about BTS featuring on Pharrell's next project and things like that. But I found most interesting the ways they talk to each other as if the moderator wasn't there, as if it was just two people in private talking about really personal desires and feelings. 
Like when RM said, he worries someday he will fall out of love with music. And William said, I know the feeling. I felt that way too, and reassured him, the spark always comes back. That feeling is only temporary. Just an interesting perspective shift I, as a non-musician, would have never thought about. They also talked pretty candidly about the downsides of having such a passionate crowd and how overwhelming that can be, that amount of human energy, and then the extreme shell-shocked nature of being lonely on the road, in hotels, between those adrenaline boosts. It's quite a roller coaster. They also talked about ego changing. Like William said, his ego used to take the steering wheel. Now his loyalty to the song guides him. And he concluded with some advice for RM, saying no nevers, never say never, and just keep going with the flow. J-Hope released Jack in the Box, performed an incredible medley of sorts at the Mamas for it, where he accepted an award on the group's behalf. He also surpassed a billion Spotify streams for his solo work, and he was the headliner the final night of Lollapalooza. And Sugar was in size delightful that that video. And got to meet some of his idol NBA stars. Each member has just really been doing what makes them happy individually. And I love that so much for them. But before they went on a break until 2025, they did do so much together. They had a three-part Apple Music radio show called BTS Radio Past and Present. They set more Guinness World Records for having so many social media followers on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram. They released Proof, a very special anthology album. They also celebrated the release of it with a live stream performance featuring Anderson Pack on the drums. They performed a special concert in a bid for Busan to be the place for 2030's World Expo. And the show was free, drawing in 52,000 attendees. The third annual BTS-themed Global Interdisciplinary Conference was held in mid-July at a university in Seoul. There was a Q&A with Paul Coelho, a favorite author of BTS, and panels with names like Sharing Our Stories of Healing and Hope, ARMY in Asia, and co-designing a community-based curriculum with ARMY for ARMY. The Permission to Dance on Stage Soul Live Show became the top-grossing live cinema event in North America, like historically, earning nearly $7 million and over a million online viewers tuned in from 191 regions. In-person viewing surpassed 45,000, and now their specials like that are becoming available on Disney+. They had a four-date Allegiant Stadium Vegas residency, they had a Grammy performance, and although they didn't win, they had a stellar performance, and fans got We Are Bulletproof the Eternal back in the top 10 on iTunes. Love to see it. They also made sure the performance of Butter happened, even though it almost didn't due to Jungkook's COVID that they worried would throw plans in disarray. But the timing worked out where it was all good, but it was close. Map of the Soul 7 made it on Rolling Stone's list of the greatest concept albums of all time. Denuri, an uncrewed South Korean spacecraft, played Dynamite by BTS in space as part of a cool experiment. There was new merch, new episodes of Run BTS, a new partnership with Cookie Run, the new virtual game BTS Island in the Somme, with a cute new instrumental to go with it. They officially became the most viewed artist in YouTube history. They also became the first artist to ever earn 160 K-pop music show wins. 
They won a bajillion awards, got a bajillion new platinum, gold, silver certifications. I could spend all day recapping. Their webtoon, Seven Fates Chaco, earned the gold play button for YouTube for getting over a million YouTube subscribers already. Manager Mr. Bang got an honorary degree from Seoul National University and became the first entertainment figure to ever get that honor. Last, but obviously not least, they went to the White House. They met with the president and the vice president to talk about the initiative to speak out against AAPI hate and stand for inclusion. They thanked President Biden for helping further that mission, that message of treating each other well and anti-discrimination conversation. V said that day, quote, everyone has their own history. We hope today is one step forward to respecting and understanding each and every one as a valuable person, unquote. They had some really interesting conversations, interviews while they were there. And one of the best pieces that came out of that day, you must admit, is the incredible image of Namjoon behind the podium. Like, no more Photoshop required to make him look like a president. Obviously so beyond the point. Really important day, very glad they went, but I will say those pictures were a delight. Number 5. Blackpink's Massive Massive Year After releasing the album, Born Pink, and the record-breaking music videos for Shut Down and Pink Venom, they performed at the VMAs, the only girl group in history to do so, besides the Pussycat Dolls, Fifth Harmony, TLC, and the Spice Girls. Possibly not coincidentally, VMAs ratings this year were up 14%. They also got to cover Rolling Stone magazine as the third girl group in history to ever do so. They met with Korea's British ambassador and took part in the Queen's Platinum Jubilee celebration. They had a much-buzzed-about virtual show via PUBG Mobile, which also led to the release of another new video for Ready for Love. They got a shout-out in The Simpsons, a new Casetify collab. They surpassed 30 million TikTok followers. They won tons of awards. They made a bunch of milestones on charts at award shows, left and right. Lalisa, in particular, solo, also got lots of recognition this year. They also became the first female act to surpass 2 million stock pre-orders. They officially gained the most viewed female YouTube channel status for a musician, surpassing Taylor Swift. They also surpassed 80 million YouTube subscribers. And Pink Venom became the song with the biggest streaming debut for Spotify South Korea, period, ever. And of course, there's the Born Pink World Tour, which is still going and is on track to be the largest world tour for a K-pop girl group in history. They also were busy on solo ventures. We already talked about Jenny Rockin' Fashion Month this year, but also her new show The Idol started getting teased. Jisoo's new show Snowdrop came to Disney Plus back in February, and she became the new Cartier Global Ambassador. Lisa, besides breaking records for her solo songs, became part of the A-list cast of a Bulgari short film called Inside the Dream. Anne Rosé became the new global ambassador for Solhwasu and was featured in the Variety Power of Young Hollywood list of entertainers. Number six, so many tours. There was a special ESPA showcase in LA. AB6 had a cute meet and live tour. Alexa had her first big U.S. tour. The Groovelin Records crew came to the U.S. The AOMG crew came. There was the KCON artist mini tour. 
Other U.S. tours included Blitzers, The Boys, Golden Child, Brave Girls, Brooklyn, DKB, Six, CIX, DPR Live, Dreamcatcher, and Hyphen, TXT, Eric Nam, Epic High, Ghost Nine, One Us, G Idol, G Soul, Itzy, Junie, Kim Woo Jin, Luna, Mark Twan, MCND, Masta X, NCT127, Omega X, P1 Harmony, The Rose, Seventeen, SF9, Stray Kids, Sunmi, Very Very, We I, Wu Sun, Yanji Lee with Keek 50, twice with a special Bank of California stadium show, which was huge, literally and figuratively, and probably even more, I'm forgetting. But wow, what a jam-packed year, and 2023 looks just as jam-packed. Just a shameless plug, I have an updating guide to concerts for 2023 and where to get tickets. So make sure you subscribe and bookmark that living document at 17karatkpop.substack.com. The shows I went to this year, I wrote about, I reviewed, my coverage with highlight reels, etc. All that concert coverage is on my site and Substack. I also have very specific episodes for concert tour deep dives, if you want to hear more of a full recap of each show. And those included 17 on the Face the Sun tour, Blew Me Away Naturally, there was N-Hyphen's Manifesto World Tour, TXT with the Lovesick Tour in a special intimate venue that blew my mind, AB6 really, really charmed me more than ever. Really was won over by their live show. They were so cute. And just, they're very talented singers too. They had a very cool stage presence and they were so cute. Really, I became quite a fan for AB6 after covering their show. Then there was the Groovelin record show, Monster X show. But yeah, what I'm gonna particularly never shut up about are the 17 show and seeing TXT in my favorite intimate venue. That's never gonna happen again. They're going to big places next tour. Count on it. Then there was, of course, KCON and that special concert. We'll talk about that later, but that's definitely warranted a special spot elsewhere on this list. There were a ton of other big live performances this year, including online and offline shows, lots of live streams, late night TV appearances, Grammy Global Spin Series performances. Suho's performance of Hurdle was really interesting, live from Dubai by this historic fountain. AOMG artists were at the South by Southwest Festival. Alexa attended the Top Gun Maverick premiere in Seoul, where she performed Hold My Hand from the soundtrack in Wonderland. Separately, PH1 and RM had NPR Tiny Desk Concerts. P1 Harmony had a segment on my favorite show, The Daily Show. There were some MTV Fresh Out appearances. MTV really showed their carrot selves this year. Lots of iconic Coachella appearances with Espa, Epic High, The 21 Reunion. I could go on a whole hour about. Dreamcatcher performed at the Primavera Sound Festival. There were J-Hope and TXT's performances at Lollapalooza. Each joined Max for the LA tour stop. Lots of artists toured Europe, performed at festivals. Some, like Pixie and Enmix, had special surprise secret fan sign events in LA. I could go on and on. Number 7. One of my favorite people on the planet. It was a great year to stand. Taeyeon. Lee Taeyeon this year was busy. He joined YouTube February 28th when he released Lonely with Saran, and then he worked with Saran on Diamonds. He also released Ghost with a very alluring performance video to go with it. 
and he returned to SoundCloud for Fine, the song Fine, which is beautiful. He also had a really fun, quirky collab I talked about in the episode Love Theory of Relativity. Love Theory is his collab with Weinstein. And then, of course, he slayed NCT127's latest era with two baddies. He joined TikTok, quickly surpassing a million followers. He became the MC of Anybody Can Dance, a new Mnet show this past summer. He got his first solo mag cover for W Korea, surpassed 10 million Instagram followers, surpassed 32 million cumulative SoundCloud streams. Plus this year, NCT127 won a day saying, Then, of course, all the modeling gigs, brand sponsorships, the new reality show. This was such a good year for all us and citizens, for sure. And now we'll see Moon Person next year on the Link Tour. So ready for this. Number eight, ventures into Web3, crypto, NFTs, the blockchain, all that kind of stuff. K-pop really jumped in on this trend. P1 Harmony entered this metaverse called Jemmy. Espa launched a new line of NFTs called iGirls, AE Girls, in partnership with a very popular Web3 artist, Blake Catherine. It was a three-part drop that was on display in Sotheby's galleries in New York and Hong Kong. Hybe also joined a digital collectible platform this one called Momentica, that plans to be a more sustainable version of blockchain tech. There's a lot I could say about that, but that will be an interesting space to see in 2023 if more artists try to find ways to use less energy-draining means of metaverse activity. Especially since this year, SM Entertainment really honed in on this climate change awareness ethos with some of their artists. If they want to have that kind of charitable image, it would help if they thought about NFT's impact on the environment, but I digress. No shade to Espa, Stan Espa, but the NFTs are something to have a second thought about. There was also a special creative content agency exhibit called Korea Cubically Imagined. In this Korean group's virtual spaces, as they called it, that they created, were inspired by everything from BTS to Parasite. YG Entertainment joined the trend, partnering with Binance, which is one of the world's biggest crypto exchanges, a big blockchain ecosystem. SM Entertainment, just a week or so later, said we too are going to partner with Binance. Bam Bam partnered with a digital star, Aelin, for a 5G phone ad. And other digital stars really got popular this year. Okay, I'll try to make this my final shameless plug of the episode, but I did interview one of these virtual stars, Rosie. You can find that on my site. Plus, I have done episodes about the CGI star trend at length because it was my senior project investigation. That stuff's on my site and in episodes like Miku, Michaela, and more. And if I could turn back time, if I could find a way V. But anyway... These virtual stars this year include Rosie, a perpetual 22-year-old singer and model with over 60,000 Instagram followers. She has signed eight different contracts and already has appeared now in over 100 sponsorship deals. Interestingly, Hybe has invested in Giant Step, a company that YGK Plus used to launch their own digital star, virtual singer and model, Han Yua. Then there's the girl group Eternity, made of digital members. They were busy this year. And the boy band Superkind debuted. They are basically created on the Web3 servers. Discord members in real time decide what happens to the group. The group has four humans and one virtual member. 
and their video for Superkind's, frankly, a bop, watch out, is a must watch. Lastly, Cube Entertainment also got in on this, forming a partnership with a blockchain platform called Neopin. Number 9. So many debuts. It would take me way too long to run through every single group that debuted this year, but some of the most noticeable, most buzzed about, and or worth your attention included ATBO, Amers, Blink2i, Classy, CSR, Haiki, Jay Weaver, Kepler, ILY1, Iris, Lopolis, Limelight, Les Seraphim, New Jeans, Nine Eye, and Mix, Nini Rose, PJ, Queen's Eye, Road B, Superkind, Tan, Tempest, TNX, Trends, Triple S, UIU, Vivi's, XG, Unite, One Shoe, and Ian Team. There are also some big new project groups and subunits. Mamamoo Plus debuted. WJSN Chikome started out the year on a very quirky note, as did new A-Pink subunit, A-Pink Chabom. There was a new Astro subunit with Jinjin and Rocky. There was WSG Wannabe, Got the Beat, and Mama Doll. And there were a bajillion big solo moments. Again, no time to go through all of them, but solo debuts that really stood out to me were just big solo moments. Maybe not officially their debut as a soloist, but a huge breakout moment for them solo include Beko from New East, Choi Yujun from Wikimiki, Twice is Nayeon, Nyeon from G Idol, lots of Eyes One members, Likli Cheyun and Yena, G Friend members like Yerin and Yuju. Sulgi, Kihyun, only one of members, each individually, Kitak from the group Cinema, Jay Chang, Hello Gloom, and Woozy. Number 10. Big legal drama, scandals, lawsuits, lots was going on in court this year. Some good, some bad. First of all, the good news. Finally, in January, we saw the end to the legal battle between Samuel and Brave Entertainment. Samuel finally won Brave Entertainment plan to appeal, but January 13th issued a statement saying they reached an agreement and they decided not to appeal. They settled. It's all settled. It's over. Samuel is free. Some members of the KBS production crew got booked by police, accused of tampering with music show scores in a way that hurt Lim Yun-woon. Lee Soo-mian cut ties with Like Planning, which we've talked about a lot in recent episodes. This was raising ethical concerns, long story short, because of the arrangement of this other company getting money from SM and him profiting from both with his ownership. So he officially put the legal queries to bed and cut ties. Hybe lost a trademark request for V's catchphrase, Borahe, but it's actually very sweet in a way. The way the court ruled because they said, look, you can't trademark this because if anyone deserves to trademark it, it's V himself, not a company on his behalf. Hybe and YG Entertainment also got involved with an as of recording time still open investigation into their artist leaked personal images. Source Music had an appeal rejected in court, which basically ended up just showing that GFriend can use the name GFriend if they want without copyright restrictions, that Source Music does not own the rights to the name. A British music collective issued an official denouncement against Korean streaming services, 
There's been a years-long ongoing issue. The Korean Music Copyright Association has filed against local streaming platforms. We talked about this at length before on the show, as well as the saga of an anonymous K-pop star described as an idol turned actor who accidentally got caught up in a voice phishing scandal and felt so guilty he turned himself into the police. Soon Lee had his sentence related to the whole Burning Sun scandal reduced on appeal to half of what his sentence was before, with the court citing an intent to reflect being shown by him for the first time. There's the whole recently unfolding saga between Hook Entertainment and Lee Soonji, who just realized he was misled into thinking he's been working on music with a net margin that's negative, losing money as opposed to making a profit, when what really happened, it was revealed, was the company was taking the profits. Apparently now, the latest is that they did pay him back in full, but wow, years and years of not getting paid under a false assumption. On the morning of December 22nd, his legal reps issued a statement saying actually it's not all water under the bridge and they are suing Hook for alleged fraud and embezzlement. Omega X filed a lawsuit against their company, Spire Entertainment, after all that heinous mistreatment they had to deal with, not just management abuse, but being stranded in the U.S. and all sorts of other stuff. It was a harrowing year for them, but they really came out the other side of it and are still fighting. Lastly, as of recording time, the still very much unfolding developments in the story of Chu being dismissed from Luna and whose fault it is. The latest since we last talked about that story on the show, lots of financial technicalities, but I'll just try to stick to the broad overview of what Dispatch revealed. A couple critical dates here, the first being 2017. After three months of training, Chu joined Luna officially signing with BBC Blackberry Creative, December 4th, 2017. This original contract included an arrangement of 70-30, meaning 70% of revenue would go to the company, BBC, and 30% would go to Chu. The expenses would then be split 50-50. So 70-30 for your paycheck, basically, 50-50 for basically what was owed which some have flagged as a problematic arrangement because that means she's paying 50% of expenses but only getting 30% of profit. This can be seen as quite a predatory system. You're footing the bill more than you're taking from the bill. Some also find issue with the order. So if you pay in revenue first versus expenses. So if they're splitting the check 70-30, then 50-50, that puts more of a financial burden on Chu than if they had split expenses with the 70-30, then went to revenue 50-50. Because if you split the expenses before revenue, you get less revenue, but less expenses. Hopefully that makes sense. Basically, it was viewed as a bad incentive for Chu to work more, only to have to pay up more, disproportionate to what she was worth, basically, financially. Any issues with this arrangement, though, BBC has defended basically because they are such a small underdog company that maybe your average big-time agency was being wronged because they could afford to split the money differently. But BBC has always said, we can't afford to. We just can't. From day one with these contracts, we need Luna members to agree to help us out more than they might with a different company. Our company needs their extra buy-in to survive. 
Luna really has been so freaking expensive to create. With so many members, each getting a separate album release, a separate debut video, the group has released so much content over the years, merch, albums, etc. It all costs a lot. They've made over 40 music videos. It's a lot. So the amount of expenses they have and revenue they make are narrower, they're closer together than you think. So compared to other companies when the revenue is a bajillion times more than the expenses they had to pay to make that revenue, that is a different fraction for a company like this. Where the amount of money you make, it's more pressure to make enough to surpass the amount of expenses. In January 2022, Chu filed a lawsuit to terminate her contract with BBC. And in March, it was granted. So now the contract was updated, officially set in place then in April, which Dispatch did obtain in review. So this new 2022 version of the contract was a flip. No flip, that pun intended. 30% now going to BBC, 70% of revenue now going to Chew, but expenses still 50-50. This amended version also included a new expiration date of this December 31st. Plus BBC promising to let you abstain from up to three Luna promo activities per month and letting Chu, when her schedules solo conflict with Luna plans, to view solo activity as taking precedence. So if she has to miss one, in this contract they have to allow her to choose to miss the Luna event instead of a solo schedule. May 25th, 2022. Chu's mom texted BBC the day after they filmed the Flip That Music video, saying, hey, you guys just violated our new contract because Chu was kept overtime. And even worse, it was a scene that ultimately just got cut from the final video. You kept her late unnecessarily. That violated the terms of the agreement. And now you have to pay a fine for it, especially because you said it would take precedence for Chu to be able to do her solo schedules, even if it meant leaving a Luna event. And that's what this was an example of because she had a commercial to film the next day, and that schedule got all messed up because of this up till 3 a.m. filming overtime. So Chu's mom really fighting on her behalf with the agency, saying, hey, you guys have to pay up now, which if the court agreed with Chu's side and deemed BBC liable, they could have had to pay up over $38,000. Dispatch sent a list of questions to Chu, who sent answers through a legal representative. And here are some of the things relayed to the media outlet. Chu says she first started feeling like something was amiss with her paychecks back in 2021 when a fellow member said, hey, shouldn't you be getting paid soon? What's going on with that? Raised a question about what she was really owed and when it was coming due. That's when she started really looking into it and said it was over her head. She had not realized at the time of signing the contract the math and how it would work out, calculating expenses in a way that would increase her debt over time. She says she officially lost trust in this agency and could not rely on them to negotiate further once they ordered an external audit. Instead of just handing her transparent accounting data as requested, they went through a separate audit. They don't have the documents to show her right now. She says her mom was arguing they deserve restitution, not for the video overtime, but more as a warning, because it wasn't a one-off, and she claims this has happened several times before these contract violations, and that it was time to speak up about it. She admitted she really wanted Luna to thrive, and she didn't want to give up on it. 
but she really didn't want to do some of the things she felt forced into, like Queendom Season 2. She did admit to lashing out, being mouthy with agency staff in their texts, but she says it was in response to their mouthing off at her in texts, which they did. Back and forth, they were quite rude to each other, quite bitter. She said she was kind of just lashing out because they were really chastising her, talking to her like a child, and she was sick of it. And the agency in these texts later do say, sorry, I shouldn't have taken such a joking, rude tone with you. June 9th, 2022 was another key moment when during a video call fan sign, Chu gave a very brief mini choreography spoiler with the fan. The video clip of this spoiler got around, BBC saw it, and the head of BBC angrily texted, tell your daughter to not spoil the comeback. Chu's mom shared this message via screenshot with Chu, who was texting something to the effect of, LOL, what the heck, they want to punish me and get mad over a one-second spoiler? When asked about this, again, through a statement via legal rep, she didn't really mean for the text to come across as shaming the specific employee who had texted her mom about this, and that it really was just sort of her resentment boiling over towards the company as a whole. The ultimate summary is that she was in a 70-30 contract, raised issues about it, had the contract amended to be flipped 30-70, but still felt like she wasn't getting what she was owed, and there has been a back and forth about how to address that. The sides have been getting testy with each other about this, about money. This company spending more than they, biting off more than they can chew financially. And Chu feeling unfair, mistreated for being in an arrangement that takes up this much of her time and money. They are at odds over what's a truly equal, fair distribution of time and money. And they probably were tired of the headache. And that's why they basically fired her, dismissed her over the bad mouthing. I will keep you posted. That's the latest. It's a very sad story, and probably much more about it will come to light over time. So again, we'll keep you posted. Number 11, KCON and its 10-year anniversary. And I will never shut up about making my KCON debut, covering it for the show. All the content is on my site, on my Substack, etc. What a blast. Some of the many, many highlights from that weekend, the star-studded live concert, which featured a surprise cameo from BB Rexa, Tia One, spending a lot of time on the floor of the convention center. Like, I would just wander around and they were back in another corner dancing or something. They were mingling. <laughs> they were trying to mingle as much as they were allowed at a distance, but still, they were just hamming it up for random dance play. The pop-up talks were cute, with Kepler and Luna especially. There were some interesting panels and workshops. So much merch. So much merch. I spent a lot of time looking at the photo card display. It was like a freaking jewelry store level display of awesomeness to me. Looking at each individual card that I could pick. It was so tempting to take way more than I did. There were always people you could go watch dance to K-pop, photo booths, interactive games, freebies to scoop up. And I just loved that the second you thought you were bored, suddenly a different artist would come out and do something. Like all of a sudden I was done for the day, but I saw Tio One. Or I was done and I saw Itzy wrapping up a big dance tutorial of sorts. So it was really interesting. You could get charmed by a different group every time you turned your head. 
It was just such a great feel-good atmosphere, plus lots of people watching, some cool music video, outfit cosplay. People were really come as you are. It was really great. Like a K-pop concert vibe, but it lasted over 48 hours. Number 12. An enormous amount of new TV and movies programming this year for K-pop enthusiasts was chock-full. There were new radio gigs, new radio shows, Queendom Season 2, which led to a win for WJSN. The show also had higher ratings than Kingdom did, so Queen's on top. Alexa had her stellar year with American Song Contest, representing Oklahoma. ATBO was formed and debuted after time on The Origin, A, B, or What. This show was created by both celebrity votes and the audience, and celebrity contributors included Minzy, Jay Park, JB. Suga debuted a fun new drinking show. Zico also debuted his own YouTube show, Give Me a Minute, with a guest cameo from J-Hope in the first episode. Hwasa show debuted. Mad Zenius, an influencer survival show hosted by Yuki. Streetman Fighter, Tap Boa, Woo Yun from 2PM, and Eun Hyuk from Super Junior as judges. Red Velvet's Irene got her own show, Irene's Work and Holiday. There were some big MC switch-ups on the big K-pop shows. A lineup edition of Our Own from New East on After School Club. Rain was tapped to host Be Ambitious, a Streetman Fighter prequel series. The idol band Boys Battle premiered with MCs Rowoon from SF9 and HKT48 star Yabuki Nako. And CL got to voice Shaki L on the Baby Shark Show. Super cute. Number 13. The New Year's Eve shows that really kicked off 2022 on a great note. The SM Town special was delightful. You know I love the hope from Kwanya San because that song title is an excellent choice. They're speaking right to me and I'm touched. The Zoo Performance Live was incredible and got the TikTok virality it deserved. There were also some cool new live versions of songs, including Espa's Winter performing Yours, Lehigh's part of the song, with Raiden. Mark adding a verse to UN Village from Baekhyun. Joy performed with a live band. I want a live soundtrack for this whole show. DJ Johnny was back. The beautiful orchestral arrangement for Black Mamba. Surprising collab stages. Sweet sentimental video montage interludes. The iconic Super Junior Classics medley. Plus, I'm just so happy the setlist boasted over 40 songs. 42 songs were performed at Weaver's Con, 230 minutes of exciting action from Enhyphen, Bumzu, Fromis9, Dawn, Lee Hyun, TXT, Seventeen, and even Justin Bieber. And the artist recreated some Sataiji and the boys' songs in honor of the group's 30th anniversary. Then everyone came together for a special ending last festival. Number 14. End of Year Award Shows Incredible, incredible performances, as always. Larger-than-life stages, choreography. I really wish there was a streamable soundtrack for the whole show. All the remixes our favorite songs of the year got. Really incredible. The stages at the Mamas, the MMAs, the AAAs, so much. I particularly found memorable and hyphen, bringing to life these stages reminiscent of what they did on tour. I've, especially with the pretty piano intro, 
G-Idol burning the sass and ending with Mian throwing the lighter and then it looked like the towering flames erupted behind her. Plus they had very Rapunzel chic ensembles separately. Stacy looked gorgeous with pastel dresses. J-Hope had the iconic medley where he popped out of the giant box for the Jack in the Box theme and had an incredible amount of dancers surround him. The formations, especially like with an aerial view, very, very cool. Plus, there were special new collab stages, like with Joram and G-Idol. Plus the mega girl group combo with Ive, Kepler, Le Seraphim, and New Jeans. The Mamas were particularly notable this year because, for the first time, they took place across two separate days. Somi hosted day one and Park Bogum day two. At the Mamas, BTS ended up earning six trophies, including basically an award for getting the most awards in the past, the Mama Platinum Award, which J-Hope accepted on behalf of the group after giving a very sweet speech reflecting on BTS's career so far, really, and how he's rooting for his fellow members. He even gave a plug for RM's upcoming, at the time upcoming, album Indigo, which is so sweet. I also love seeing Ive's reaction to winning because they looked so genuinely emotional, teary, and shocked. Really sweet, super rookie achievements in a love dive for Son of the Year deserved. Number 15. There was a continuation of really important mental health transparency this year. Much more normalization of saying, hey, I'm going on a break from the group, not just for personal reasons, but for anxiety or some other mental health condition. Jihun from Promise 9, Woongi from TO1, Taemin. It was a really important year for furthering that transparency, that openness. Number 16. There were some iconic K-pop reunions, long-time no-see moments with Daya, EXID, Girls' Generation, Wanna One, Winner, but there were also far too many disbandments, including April, Bling Bling, Bugaboo, Bota Pass, Bandit, Checkmate, CLC, D Crunch, Girl Kind, Grayish, Infect, Hot Issue, New East, Lunar Solar, Tracing, Black Level. Number 17. All Things 17 this year. Like I talked about in the last episode of 17 Talk. No, that doesn't count as one more shameless plug because it is a shameful plug, but here we go. But I had to throw that in there. Really went on at length already about what a big year it was for 17, but wow, really historic for them. Really just an exciting, exciting year for Carrots. And there are more of us than ever. More rapid fire on the year in review. There were some big docu-series out and special other movies. We had the short mini-series, Way Seraphim's The World is My Oyster, Seventeen's Power of Love the Movie, and Hyphen and TXT's Backstage Experience, and Astro with Stargazer Astroscope. We also had a bunch of Hybe artists launch their webtoons, and I got super into especially The Star Seekers, which you can read about coming up on my substack before you know it. I also did a two-part guide covering episodes 1 through 30 about the Star Seekers, so wherever you get this podcast, check that out. The COVID cases I ended up reporting on all year topped over 300 celebrities. Still in a pandemic, stay safe out there. But the touring business went back up and running successfully, to say the least. Some big marketing, business-related news from the year. It was revealed at a content marketing summit in Seoul that tweets about K-culture have grown 546% in the past 10 years. 
The report also found that K-pop has been used as a very effective gateway for a lot of people to get into other aspects of K-culture, like K-dramas. In the countries with the most K-content-related tweets in 2022, the top five, South Korea, Thailand, the Philippines, Indonesia, and the U.S. And BTS continues to top the list of most influential people in South Korea, according to the Ministry of Culture, Sports, and Tourism. Blackpink are actually third on that list. First is BTS, third is Blackpink, second is former President Moon Jae-in. The New York Stock Exchange opened up a new system, so K-pop fans can own some stock in their favorite companies overseas. South Korea just spent its ninth year as one of the ten largest music markets in the world. RBW acquired DSP, meaning that now Mamamoo, Purple Kiss, One Us, One We, they now share a roof with Murray, Card, DSP Media artists are now a part of RBW Entertainment. Korea reopened a vinyl-making factory this past May and started with releasing Must, 2PM's album. Vinyl sales outsold CDs in 2021, actually, and putting it out there right now, cassette tapes will be back as merch that's more popular again in 2023. Not for practical reasons, but it will be popular again. This stuff always comes back around. A gaming organization, T1 Entertainment, signed with CAA, one of the major talent agencies in the USA. T1 has done collabs with The Boys, Baekhyun, so there could be some interesting game-related singles in the future that get a USA promo push. Some companies, like PlayM and Creaker Entertainment, merged under Kaiko Entertainment. So now under the same roof are artists like The Boys and Weekly. Vivi's won, during the Brand of the Year Awards, a special Rookie Girl Group of the Year honor, and the gown chart changed, now being called the Circle Chart. Some big label switch-ups this year. There were tons, so I'm going to go really fast, but here's what changed. Tiffany Yun joined Sublime Artist Agency. Big Bang contract updates. G-Dragon is still negotiating as of recording time. Taeyang signed with the YG subsidiary, the Black Label, instead. And Daesun is, quote, looking for a fresh start, unquote, but plans to stay active in Big Bang promotions, although he's not technically with YG any longer. The Rose finally got a label that really gives them the promo they deserve. A lot of people left P Nation upon contracts expiring, including Hyuna, Dawn, and Jesse. All Dreamcatcher members renewed their contracts. All Twice members renewed their contracts. Lei officially left SM Entertainment. Ej left Day6 and JYP, but his fellow Day6 members all decided to renew. Former Super Junior member Kim Kibum got signed to a new agency for acting. Eyes One members Sakura and Chaewon joined Hybe and Lee Seraphim. Gyori signed with a new company as an actress from From Us 9. Nana from After School renewed her contract with Pletus for a third time. Lizzie from After School signed with BK Entertainment. Kim Min-kyun from Pristine signed with K+, Top's contract ended with YG, Anda left YG and joined Sublime, IM left Starship, joined Sony Korea, all card members renewed their contracts, Sikke left Higher Music, as did Jay Park. He stepped down as CEO, instead now he's focused on yet another agency he founded called More Vision. JB left AOMG and Higher Records to join CD and ZA Records.
Yeun from CLC joined Superbell Company. Sulhyun from AOA signed with a new agency for acting as well. Vivi's and Ren from New East are now with Big Planet Made, aka BPM. Oh My Girl and Lightsome both changed to be six member groups. The Infinite members are all officially done with Willem Entertainment. Woods switched to IU's company, EDOM Entertainment. Neil from Teen Top did not renew his top media contract and signed instead with new entry. April members went their separate ways. Lovely's members went their separate ways. CGM joined BY's company, Deja Vu Group. Ailey signed with Pop Music. Gian signed with A&B Group. Hual, formerly of The Boys, signed with Blossom Entertainment. Three UKIS members signed with Tango Music. Nam Jihyun from 4 Minute signed with Urban Works Media. Zello signed with Uzu Rocks. Hyuk left Jellyfish Entertainment. Diastars went their separate ways. Mellomance joined Abyss Company with Sunmi and Bam Bam. Kim Jonghyun from New East signed with Evermore Entertainment. Roo Soojun from Lovelies started her own agency, House of Dreams. And Big moves into the Western promo world with Alexa signing with United Talent and B.I. signing with Wasserman Talent Agency. I chill and added a member. One member left. One member joined Kingdom. Two members joined Black Swan and two members left. Three members entered. One member left DKZ. There were a ton of lineup changes to TO1. June left Weekly. Ginny left Enmix. Denise left Secret Number. Kim Garam left Le Seraphim, Heejun left KK, Naun left A Pink, Raven left One Us, Gyori left From His Nine, Sujin left Cube Entertainment and G Idol, and Yidam and Mashiho both left Treasure. Artists who enlisted this year include Yun Jae from BAP, PO from Block B, three members of Day 6, two members of SF9, Jin, Ravi, Ha Sun Woon, MJ from Astro, Han Sok from Pentagon, Day Yule from Golden Child, Jun In Sun, three members of Ace, and two members of One We. Discharged this year from the military? Welcome back to Suho, Zico, Ken from Vix, Jacef from Card, and Kim Yunsu from Infinite. Some big relationship updates. Hyena and Dawn split and made the whole world feel heartbroken. Yu Kwan from Block B and his girlfriend of over 10 years, Jen Sunhe, split up. It was a sad year for love. On the other hand, there were a ton of marriages and engagements this year, which led to some sweet reunions, like when Gowori got married and Rainbow reunited. More marriages included, but are not limited to, Queen Wook from Divine Channel, with a former member of Jewelry, Kim Unjun, after eight years of dating, Andy from Xinhua, Nuxal, Zeno, while he officially registered his marriage, Hoon from Yukis, and Huayn Ji Son from Girls' Day, Chancellor Yoon Sul from Piche, Loco getting married soon to a college sweetheart, and Oh Wan Bin, formerly of FT Island, getting married and expecting a kid. New babies in the house for Max Chainman, Eric Nam's brother Eddie, Eric from Xinhua, Ben, Gummy, Chainson from 2PM, Chen, yes a second kid, and Lena from CSJH The Grace. There were some big band makeovers. T1419 is now TFN, Elris rebranded to Alice, and Donkiz rebranded to DKZ. There were a lot of exciting light stick reveals. 
for Epex, The Rose, Victon, Wikimiki, Stacy, and Kepler. There were tons of big moments for K-pop stars in terms of brand deals, new partnerships, ambassadorships, etc. New jeans already poppin' in the fashion world. Itzy debuted a capsule collection with Charles and Keith. Kane Daniel teamed up with SpongeBob. That was so cute. And, equally cute, NCT with Sanrio. Jaehyun modeled for Prada. IU for Gucci. Somi for Lacoste. Yujin from Ive for Versace. Simon Dominic for Golden Goose. And Taeyang covered the first ever issue of a brand new art magazine brought to you by those behind Marie Claire Korea. A bunch more just rapid fire updates of the year in K pop. J Hope and TXT are both set to perform as part of Dick Clark's New Year's Eve special, and NCT 127 will feature on CNN's New Year's Eve special. Alexa met with the U.S. Ambassador for Korea, Christopher Del Corso, and visited the U.S. Embassy. Yukis made a donation to Ukrainian aid and met with the Ukrainian Ambassador for the Republic of Korea. Yuna from ITSI graduated high school. ATs became million sellers, twice surpassed a billion Spotify streams. Treasure got their first ever music show win for Jikjin. Very, very did for Tap Tap. Kepler did for their debut, Wadada, 10 days into their career. And Dreamcatcher's first win came after five years of trying with Mason. Plus, Tempest were also super rookies winning for Dragon. A lot of stars joined Instagram, including Jiyun from Weekly, more NCT members. Sunjin from Day 6, G.O.D., all members of TWICE, all members of Dreamcatcher, Kino from Pentagon, and two Le Seraphim members. Le Seraphim's account, by the way, already surpassed 2 million followers. Lots of stars joined Weavers as well. Ravi, TNX, Hyolin, Oh My Girl, Zico, A-Pink, and V-Live officially merged with Weaver Services. That officially, officially, officially is complete December 31st, 2022. TXT were shining so much this year. Miniso 2 Thursday's Child sold over 1 million copies in two days, so they're now the fastest artists to do this. It was a great year for fellow Yeonjun biased TXT fans with his new Inkigayo gig, his new ambassadorship, and collection for Privé Alliance, plus he joined Instagram. The group also won at the K-Global Best Music Awards, the Japanese Golden Disc Awards, the TikTok Creator Awards, the EMAs, they were nominated for the AMAs too, plus they became the BandLab NME Awards Hero of the Year with over 40% of the vote. It was a great year for my fellow Jean as well. Jen Won and Sunu became DJs for the radio show called Listen. The group won at the Seoul Music Awards and the Japanese Golden Disc Awards. And Dimension Answer got certified gold in Japan. Plus, they went on their incredible first world tour. Lim Yun-woon saved a life. There was a traffic accident, a driver lost consciousness, and he performed CPR, helping the driver regain consciousness by the time the ambulance arrived. Stray Kids continued to dominate, surpassing 20 million Instagram followers, 10 million on YouTube. They also got a nomination at the VMAs. Maxident sold over 1.3 million copies in the first day. They also had a special limited-time collector's edition of Billboard. The North American tour sold out super fast. They got number one on the Billboard 200 chart. And they were a huge part of what made this year's KCON so special. Soyeon became the only Korean on the list of creatives, quote, defining a new era of the internet on the dazed 100 list. 
Angie Dragon entered the Hype Beast 100 list for 2022. Seventeen performed at the inaugural LA3C event, where they were awarded alongside Mr. Bang for, quote, building cultural bridges, unquote, and got a special culture ambassador award. The top K-pop artists on Tumblr this year, fifth place twice, four, seventeen, three, eighties, two, stray kids, and one, BTS. And I will leave you with a special giving holiday spirit PSA. Your action item of the day is a million different things. Make sure this holiday season, say Alexa, thank my driver to get a $5 bonus paid to your Amazon delivery person at no cost to you. If you pray, please keep your prayers and your thoughts with the Colorado Springs shooting victims this season. Pay attention still to their GoFundMes and organizations helping those affected heal and all who have suffered similar discrimination and violence. Some groups I vouch for supporting include Center on Colfax, One Colorado, Human Rights Campaign, Glad, It Gets Better, and the Homegoing Fund. I will always stand behind my LGBTQ plus listeners. I will always want to be in your corner as an ally because I think there's nothing more good and kind in this world than letting people love and feel happy and proud to do so. To understand how to combat anti-Semitism and stand with our Jewish friends and family, our Jewish fellow humans, visit shinealighton.com and hope for their safety in a blessed holiday season and new year. Really, really tragic the amount of hatred they've been getting lately, especially in the U.S. right now. Learn more again at shinealighton.com. Lastly, just remember to be kind to each other. Go into the new year thinking, why not be someone's highlight of their day? Maybe their highlight of the day is just that you were nice to them. And you yourself should benefit if you start doing what I've been doing, which is thinking of a highlight every day. Because not every day is good, but there is something good in every day that can make you smile. Maybe it was your morning walk. Maybe it was a recipe, a hug you got. Whatever it was that brought you joy, celebrate it. Now and beyond the holiday season. Spread joy and cherish your own. Much to come still, but please be patient if I take a week or so to regroup at some point within the next month, although my holiday break is later than most. But yeah, stay tuned, and I'll talk to you all again very soon. Bye, everybody.